Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining Law Matters. In the studio this morning, we have Brian Parker, who used to be a commander for TPD and now is the host of the Choir Practice Podcast. Yes, ma'am. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you. Great. I'm, I'm about halfway through my cup of coffee, so I'm, 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 getting, <laughs> I'm getting really good. Getting ready to run laps around the studio. That's right. Okay. Tell us about you. What's your background? Sure. So I moved to Tucson in 1987, and I am one of three children to my mom and dad who were military in the Air Force. And so I'm a military brat, as we are affectionately called. And uh, we moved here from West Germany when that was still a thing, before it was just Germany. And um, prior to that, we moved every three years. So um, You're from everywhere. Yeah, really. I mean, I was... I was born in Louisiana and never lived there, you know, and so, um, understandable. Yeah. And so we moved here in 87 and five years later, my father retired from the air force and I also graduated from high school and this was uh, the longest we had ever lived anywhere. And so this was home. And so when I graduated high school, I had a scholarship opportunity to play football at Arizona Western college in Yuma. So I went out there and, uh, you look like a football player. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a couple of years past that now, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, when I was getting ready to sign for my scholarship though, I had to pick a major and what I had kind of considered in high school is like, you know what, maybe cause I was always good at writing English. I enjoyed that. I was no good at math. Never was going to be. And, um, you know, I thought I'll just maybe go to school, become an English teacher and come back to like the high school level. I can coach football. It's what I love, you know? And then I was looking at Arizona Western's catalog of, of different programs and I saw criminal justice and it's, it's so stupid. Me and all of my, my other schoolmates who were all going to the same school to play football are sitting at Smuggler's Inn on Speedway in Wilmot okay. that doesn't exist anymore because that's where they took us to dinner. And um, and I saw criminal justice. And and as a 16-year-old kid, 17-year-old kid, I thought, you know what? I've, I've watched cops. I can do that. Drive fast, catch <laughs> bad guys, point guns, you know, all that cool stuff. And I was like, huh, yeah, I think I could do that. So I check the box for criminal justice. So I go out to Yuma and, um, the football program was horrible. I was not great. <laughs> I think we were two and seven. Uh, it was miserable, uh, ridiculously hot as anybody that's been through Yuma knows. Oh, that's insane. And, um, but I started taking the criminal justice classes and every single one of my instructors, even after I moved back home after that one dismal year and, and continued my education at Pima college, were all retired police officers. So I would say in a one hour class, maybe the first half of it, and that's being generous, uh, was covering the material. And then the rest of it was just my instructors talking, talking about their yeah. war stories and their experiences. And so at that point I started to really get hooked on the idea of, man, this could really be pretty cool. You know, this could be a, a really neat uh, career field. And then, of course, the final class that I took through Pima College in order to graduate was an internship. And uh, where'd you do that? So my instructor, I mean, and I'll, I'll be a little bit biased, but it seemed like he took all the cute girls from the class and, and gave them to the sheriff's department or Tucson Police Department. And by the time he got to me, uh, my options were Marana which is really, really smaller at that, at that point. Time, that was yeah. in '95 um, than they are now. Um, or South Tucson. <laughs> yeah. And I lived on the east side of town after my dad retired. We just stayed out there on the east side of town and I didn't want to drive to Marana because the, the requirements of this internship was to spend 160 hours in a 10 week semester. Wow, so 16 pretty, hours a week. Yeah. That's intense. And so what I ended up doing is I, I went to South Tucson and it was, uh, oh man, now I just totally spaced his name because I want to tell it. But um, I would go out on Friday nights from four to midnight and then I'd get up and come right back and work eight to four on Saturdays. 
And I did that for where, 10 where, weeks. Where were you working? <clears throat> the city of South Tucson, which is just that one little square mile. Right, but and, it, you, you did your internship there. Mm-hmm. What, did you have another job? No, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> what was your other job? I was a security guard for Pinkerton Security while I was going to school full-time. And so I just... I would work there just because of the name. Well, it does have a lot of historical <laughs> significance, just like, Wells, just like Wells Fargo does, you know, the wagon train and carrying the gold across the U.S., that kind of a thing. And they did a lot of those same things back in the old cowboy in the old and Indian days. days yeah. yeah. But um, so, yeah, luckily I was able to just kind of, you know, work around that. But yeah, 16 hours a week. And, you know, just like being a police officer for 21 years, when I did that internship, it was having a front row seat to probably, if not the greatest, one of the greatest shows on earth. You know, I'm 19, I think at the time and, um, shootings, stabbings, chases. I mean, South Tucson. Yeah. You know, it's a tiny department. It is. But it has a lot going on. Yeah. And their chief is a really nice person. (laughs) Their chief is now, I know, I worked with Danny uh, on the Tucson Police Department and love that guy. Super smart. Very smart. Very good cop. Very good cop. So um, they are very fortunate to have him. And I, you know, I wish him nothing but success because I think. I think that he can help their department and and in turn in their area. help their community. Yeah. Right. So yeah, love Danny. So I graduate in the summer of ninety five and I start applying. But you know, back then, just like I've talked about on my podcast, you would have anywhere from fifteen to twenty five hundred people applying at all the local agencies. I yeah. think I applied with Oro Valley, I think I applied with Pima College, University of Arizona. Tucson Police Department, Pima County Sheriff's Department, um, just all of them, just because I wanted to be in law enforcement, you know, right. where, wherever that was. And Did you try Chicago? No, no. Although I will <laughs> say I made the mistake of um, flying out and testing for Long Beach, California. Really? <laughs> I don't know why. I think maybe I saw a local ad here in town or something, you know, because um, that's what cities do is they'll yeah. put up a billboard yeah. in somebody else's town and say, hey, come on out. But um, luckily that didn't pan that, out. That didn't pan out. <laughs> but um, so in the meantime, you know, I, I got to move out. You know, I need to get out of my parents' house. I just need to get up, grow up. Was that their suggestion or yours? <laughs> well, I always kind of understood that as long as I was in school, I could stay. Right. But once I finished, I, I need to just move, move on. on. Yeah, go do do something. And at the time I was engaged and wanted to get married and so it just made sense and so I applied with the Department of Corrections and the Pima County Jail almost at the same time. And that was sometime around the summer of 95. Oh, I actually had to be in the fall because like 2 weeks later Department of Corrections says you're going to come into an academy. And I started CODA in October of 95. It's funny because I actually turned 21 in that academy, the first week of that academy. And while I was there, um, I think the jail had called me, Pima County had called me, but I couldn't leave the academy to go do a polygraph and do a hiring process for another employer. So I had to kind of postpone that. And I went to Florence once I graduated. Ouch. It was not great, but... It's a job, and quite honestly, they were paying double what minimum wage was at the time. You so, know, yeah, and they'd as, have to to get anybody to go there. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is very true. So I went up to Florence, and I was working Central Unit, was a which is about a step down from total lockdown. I think there's SMU after that, which is just for super super troubled children that just need to be locked down all the time. And then right next door to us was uh, CB6, which was death row. And so I remember some of my most fond times working at DOC, which was only about seven months total, was sitting up in the guard towers, just like you see in the movies. And I had a 38 revolver, a 12 gauge shotgun and a ranch, a mini 14 ranch rifle. And you would just sit there and just watch, make sure nobody got too close to the walls or the fences. And then anytime over on the death row side, they would bring a chain gang out to work in this huge field you know, work. I mean, it was, they were growing a lot of their own vegetables and stuff for the prison. And so you would stand out there, watch them shuffle back and forth. And as soon as they went inside, you could go back inside your tower and sit down. 
but I spent a lot of time in those towers listening to a radio, you know, just a radio channel and staring off in the distance and wishing I was somewhere else. else. (laughs) Not what you had in mind. Yeah, no. So um, in somewhere in the early months of 96, I got the call from the Pima County Sheriff's Department. I was able to go back, finish that hiring process. And um, so in May of 96, well, April 96, got married. May of 96, started working at the jail. And I will tell you, for anybody that's done it, they already know this uh, from my experience. When someone's already convicted of their crime, uh, they tend to be very hard to manage because they have nothing to lose, you know, and they've got nothing but time to just mess with you. Exactly. Uh, When I went to the jail, a lot easier to manage because they're all awaiting their trial. They're trying to be there on their best behavior. Be nice. Yeah. So a little easier to manage. So I did that for for a year and a half from ninety middle of 96 to January of 98. And I had tested in the meantime and got hired as a Pima County Sheriff. So it, I went through the academy and I was at the Sheriff's Department for as a deputy for two years. And during that time, a bunch of my friends who I'd worked with at the jail had left the jail, went straight to the Tucson Police Department. And I'd run into them and they're like, hey, you know, this is some of the fringe benefits that we have that, you know, working in this agency. And it was at the time, at least double, if not, I want to say for some reason, the sheriff's department, I want to say had like 400, almost 500 certified. And at the time the Tucson police department had 11 to 1200, you know? And so, yeah, I just, uh, you know, my son was born and I figured if I don't want to work myself to death in order to make it so that I don't have to drop my kid off at a daycare, I can make a little bit more money over here by switching over to the city. So I switched over to the city in June of 2000. What kind of process is that? You're going from the county to the city. Mm-hmm. You're going from corrections to TPD. Do you have to go through their academy? Well, so when I left corrections and got promoted to, cause it's considered a promotion. I got promoted to deputy sheriff and I went through the police Academy. Okay. And at the time the sheriff's department was running their own behind the jail. And so we went through the, I think it was 12 weeks at the time or 16 weeks. I can't even remember. It was 20 some years ago <laughs> and it's See changed. What age does too. I know. And it's changed <laughs> a little bit too over the years. But, uh, so I went through the police Academy and became a certified peace officer in the state of Arizona. So when I lateraled, I still had to go through background check, polygraph, physical fitness. I still had to do some of those things in order to come over, but I was already a certified peace officer. So when I came over to the city, they put us through like a seven week extended academy so that we could kind of learn the way that TPD does things, their forms, their radio codes, because they were different than the sheriff's department. Right. Um, their phonetic alphabet, their radio codes, and uh, some of those things. And then policy procedures, that kind of stuff. And once that seven weeks was up, then we went out to the streets and did our field training, which is 12 weeks of field training with you know four different officers. Uh, learning how to do things the TPD way, which, I mean, law enforcement, I found the job to be the same, just more of it in a, in a smaller compact area than in the county where it's really, you know, unincorporated. You know, it's just, yeah. you could be out in the sticks. By was, yourself. Oh, yeah. And I was joking with a buddy of mine. I, I literally remember getting directions to a call from the dispatcher where they'd say, you're going to take this road and when you see the dirt, the dirt road with the cactus that's got one arm up and one arm down <laughs> and there's a boulder, you're going to turn there and then their house is down yeah. whatever, quarter For, mile, whatever. Yeah, on your right. <laughs> but we would literally, we would get directions to call sometimes that way as a sheriff, you know? And so I lateraled over the city, no regrets, never looked back. Uh, it just seemed like more of the cool stuff in a smaller area and happening more often. I was just talking with somebody this week and I was saying, as a sheriff deputy, if there was a critical incident in the Santa Vera district here on the South side, there was a good chance that because there was so few of us, we would all be on that call and contributing in a significant way. Right. So when I came over to the city, there would be stuff that would happen. And later on, my friends who are not police officers are like, hey man, what happened with that? I was like, you know what, dude? I was on this shooting. I didn't even get to make it to that carjacking you know it was it was it was interesting to me that there could be multiple critical incidents and i it was very possible that i would never even be a part of some of those because i was on my own you know whereas at the sheriff's department we typically were all 
same you know, same yeah, thing. A, yeah, team attacking a, a, a critical incident. So um, yeah, I mean I, that was a long answer to your question, but that's really how I how got I got involved. into law enforcement, and then of course once you with the internship and then as a cop, you know, once you get in that seat and you get those first few adrenaline shots, well, you know, then you're hooked. I would imagine for some folks, it's like, this really isn't for me, man. I thought that I would like it, but this is kind of scary. I think I'm going to go a different route. Um, but for me, it just confirmed what I already thought about what I wanted to do for, for my career. And you know what? You don't have to be law enforcement. There are so many different areas that the police department, all the agencies, all the federal agencies, not everybody carries a gun. Correct. You know, there's, there's things you could do and still be involved in what's going on. And I think one of the hardest jobs actually is, is the dispatch center 911. Yeah. I've heard it said that a lot of times they, they don't get closure. Right. On they some don't. of the critical incidents that they're a part of. And sure, so, because as soon as law enforcement shows up, you're in good hands. I'm going to go to the next call. Right. And it's it's important for me as, as now a podcaster, um, I have a couple of ladies in mind who are retired from Tucson Police Department Communications that I absolutely want to have on because... Uh, they vicariously lived through a lot of the same stressors and a lot of the same critical incidents that police officers end up showing up at and, and addressing and dealing with. Um, but gosh, dang it, man, wouldn't you like to hear about a lady who helped somebody deliver a child, you know, or was on the phone when they're hearing gunshots and people being, people breaking into yeah, the house being and hurt all that. or killed yeah. and uh, uh, helping walk an officer through because they really do help um, a, a chase. You know, even if you're foot chasing, sometimes you don't even know where you're at and the dispatcher's like, I gotcha, I know where you are. I, you I was, I had a dispatcher call me because my friend's house was being broken into and it was an active situation. Uh-huh. And the kids that were there couldn't get a hold of their mom, so they called me uh-huh. and said, okay. And I walked the officer through the layout of the house uh-huh. so the kids were safe and, and one of the questions was do they have a dog i said yeah where's the dog probably hiding in the closet i mean you know the dog's not a hero dog uh, you know? yeah. but yeah i <laughs> it was an interesting situation to be on that side of it right so i mean that's still a goal of mine and it just has not panned out yet but um we can we'll get into the podcast later but yeah so um yeah, that's me, man. And so I lateraled over to the city in 2000. I already had two years under my belt. And 19 years later, after a really fantastic career, uh, I decided, you know, I think I've gone as far as I want to go. And um, this is a good time to, to hang it up and go find another career and start another retirement. And yeah, and not be in so much danger all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's one uh, of the things. We had a listener say that they wanted us to have a representative from Arizona Post come on and oh, yeah. talk about that. So I want that person to know that we have him scheduled. Yeah. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but he is scheduled to come on. Yeah, uh, Matt's going to be talking to us about everything that Arizona Post does. <laughs> so Yeah, it truly is the certifying board that allows agencies, because sometimes agencies will think they have a great recruit, but there might be something in their past that just, um, you know, knocks not, them not out of so the running yeah. Yeah, for, for being a police officer in the state of Arizona. So they do have high standards, which they should, and the community should expect that, you know. And, uh, and so they are the governing board for all police officers and departments in the state so that should be a good interview and yeah i mean i'm looking <laughs> really looking forward to yeah. it and people don't realize I, you know kids don't realize today some of the stupid things you do are going to follow you for the rest of your life when you're trying mm-hmm. to get a job mm-hmm. and they'll say oh it's been expunged it's no big deal yeah. you know what that's a big red flag and i think the chief touched on that last week when he said if we can catch them while they're still in high school exactly and get them interested so that they don't take their post high school college years and, throw and it just away. go crazy yeah. and potentially knock themselves out of the opportunity for probably one of the 
for one of the best jobs there is, you know. And it's not even law enforcement. It's any kind of, I mean, there are certain security jobs that, Mm. you know, I get background checked every year. Every year. You should. You're pretty sketchy. It's it's like, you know, (laughs) look at her face. She's guilty. Yeah, right. (laughs) But, you know, there there are certain things that you just don't be stupid. Yeah, because, you know, it's kind of like that concept of, you know, when you're you're a parent, you tell your children one bad decision can really change the rest of your life. And oh, you don't you don't know or oh, you, yes, you don't do. understand how it is to live in this generation, blah blah. But it truly is potentially you could ruin you diminish your potential by indulging now and not thinking for the future, you know. And so. we did um, a presentation on April 2nd about uh, sex trafficking uh-huh. and interviewed several high school kids. And when you hear what's going on, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, my God, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Yeah, You know, taking pictures of yourself naked and sending it off to some mm-hmm. Yahoo. You don't even know who it yeah. is. That's yeah. going to bite you in the butt. Well, it's a felony here in Arizona. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah, don't uh, do no it. No matter how much they say they love you, don't don't send naked yeah, pictures of yourself. I, I, I've never seen you. I, I have not met you, but I love you. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your um, best arrest. So this one, I mean, I really was kind of scratching my head because I've, I've had the opportunity to be a part of so many really cool things. But I would say probably one of the highlights was right at the end of my career. And I... I always kind of have, I guess it makes to be a good cop, but I, I've always um, had really dumb luck, I guess, when it comes to being in the right place at the right time. And across the Tucson Police Department, when our rookies are in field training, one of the things that we have them do is, you know, as you're driving around, look and see if you see a, a problem that you think that you can come up with a plan to address, and you can't just do it by yourself. You need to engage other city uh, departments, other organizations that want to come out and help you fix whatever said problem is. And we had a rookie, super smart guy, really good, really good police officer, who found this homeless camp off of Mission Irvington area, and the problem was uh, the garbage that was building up, uh, drug paraphernalia. I mean, it was really becoming a hazard. Uh, to the community around there. There's a school very close by. There's some other, you know, retirement communities nearby. So this officer came up with his plan. He got all these organizations involved. The news came out and, and did a story on his, his, I mean, it was, it was best case scenario. And they went through there and spent a day of their own time cleaning up five gallon buckets of who knows what drug paraphernalia camps, all kinds of stuff. So fast forward a couple of weeks I drive out there because I'm thinking I don't want all of the work that this guy put into this to just go away. Yeah. It's like you, you shine the light on them and they scatter. And then as soon as you walk away, they They come come right back. So I thought I'd go by there, take a look. So when I drive over there, I see a pickup truck parked up on the hill by this camp and I go out there and I, um, the truck is empty. So I'm suspecting that they're down in the camp and I can actually see a couple of camps already starting to go back up. So I walk out there and I call for an officer to come back me up, this guy, Danny. So he comes over and we essentially, he starts at one end of the desert. I start at this end of the desert and we're going to work our way towards each other. And anybody that we find in between us, we're just going to say, beat it, get lost. You need to go find somewhere else to, to camp. And, uh, and I'm also looking for the occupants of this truck. So, I get down there and I'm like, hey, Tucson police, if you're down here, come out, need you to come out, whatever. And nobody's answering me. I'm seeing the camps already starting to come back around. And as I'm sitting there, all of a sudden I hear a car start and I look over and now the occupants have kind of circled back around through the desert. They've ditched me, got back in the truck and they drive away. And I was like, ah, you suckers, you know? So (laughs) I tell Danny, I'm gonna go get back in my car see if I can find this truck. He's like, all right. And he's going to clear out. We've already, I think we only found one camper and we told him to beat feet. So I start driving off in the direction of where I saw this truck going. 
and I don't see anything. I'm a little frustrated, but I'm like, okay, well, done. I'm, I guess this is over with. So I would come up to a stop sign. Sure enough, here comes the truck and it turns left right in front of me. And now it's going back. It's going onto the street that I'm about to turn off of. So I'm like, okay, here's the truck. So I turn around, make a U-turn. And by the time I make the U-turn and before I can even put my lights on, the truck is moving and I can just see dust billowing up from behind he's it. Like he's, away. he's on it. And now in the bed of the truck, there's a washing machine or a dryer, which was not in there when I saw them originally. So I catch up to it. I pull it over and I'm kind of back in a neighborhood and I start and I can see three people in the truck, two in the front, one in the extended cab. So now I'm explaining to Danny, I'm like, bro, this is where I'm at. I need you to turn here, turn here, turn here and come to where I am because I'm over here with three guys. Yeah. Who you know, knows I why. need you to be here. And so I walk up to the truck and I start talking to the driver. Well, actually, you know what it was is the driver. I had dealt with him in the past. So when he made the left in front of me and he saw me and there was like a look of, oh crap, recognition. and also <laughs> recognition. So when I pulled him over, he popped out of the truck right away, which is a no-no. And that's a good segue because you said, hey, you know, when you talk about traffic stops, what is expected of a citizen in Tucson, in the state of Arizona, if you are pulled over by the police, stay in your car. Keep your hands on the wheel so the cop can see it. Probably even want to maybe roll down your driver's window. And if you're in a four-door car, maybe even the window behind you. Yeah. So the officer can see into the car. They know that there's no threat and they can make contact with you. Don't ever get out of the car. If you get out of the car, the officer is going to perceive that as a threat. You just do what the officer asks you to do. Now, if the officer stays in his car and calls you on his PA and driver, get out of the car and walk back to me. Well, then you should do that. You know, keep your hands where they, where they can see them, you know, because the hands to a police officer is the most dangerous thing. You keep your eye on their hands because that's what's going to punch you. That's what's going to grab a weapon and, and hurt you, you know. So, yeah, if you're ever pulled over by a police officer, just stay in your car. Keep your hands up on the wheel, 10 and 2, and maybe roll your window down and wait for them to give you some kind of direction. You know, don't start rifling through your glove box for your insurance and your registration. That makes officers nervous. They don't know. I mean, they kind of suspect that's probably what you're doing. But? But a lot of times that's where people keep guns. That's where people keep other weapons. And so until an officer asks you to get all those things, just wait for them to come up and him or her and you might even to tell talk to you where it is it is is it in the console yeah. is it in the glove box is yeah. it in the side door of the vehicle and another important note on that is so back in the day in order to carry any weapons concealed you had to have the concealed weapons permit and then i don't remember what year it was but arizona said hey look if you're not a felon you can carry a gun you can carry it on your hip out in the open, you can carry it concealed. As long as you don't have any convictions or anything that would prohibit you from carrying a concealed weapon, do it. However, just like when we had the days of the concealed weapons permits, you still have to, as soon as it's practically possible, if you're carrying concealed, you have to declare it to law enforcement should they come into contact with you. So yeah, if you get pulled over and you know you have a gun in your car and you're carrying it legally, when the officer's there, he says, hey, I'm officer so-and-so, I pulled you over for this. Hi, officer, I'm Brian. I want you to know that I have a concealed weapon in my car and this is where it's at. You know, and I've done that when I've talked to law enforcement, they're like, okay, as long as you don't touch your gun, we'll be fine, everything yeah. will be great. You know, and it only becomes an issue if the gun just happens to be in the same place as the insurance and the registration and those things. So, <laughs> so keep them separate. So there's our segue. But um, so, I get the names and dates of births of the three occupants of this truck and Danny's not with me yet. He's on his way and I go back to my car. Well, actually, so the driver had gotten out and I put him in handcuffs immediately because that's fishy to me. Yeah. He's trying to keep me from walking up to the truck is what I'm thinking as a yeah. police officer. What's How in come the truck? He doesn't want me up there at the truck. So I, um, I put him in handcuffs right away and I don't have a cage in my car cause I'm a commander. Right. I, the fact that I'm a commander and I'm doing all of these things, first and foremost, you know, a lot of times people are like, dude, what are you doing? You're not a cop anymore. You're a commander. Stop going out there and playing around, you know. But you're a cop, especially if, you know, throughout my career, I considered myself to be a meat eater. I considered myself to be, you know, kind of a high speed, want to go catch bad guys individual, even as a sergeant and as a lieutenant. So 
I take this guy, I put him in handcuffs, and the best I can do is just sit him on the front push bumper of my car. And I start running their names. And one of the guys, his first name is Doug, calls me on the radio and he says, hey, I think one of those gentlemen is wanted for homicide. I'm pretty sure his name just came out on a flyer. And the, the guy's name was Anaya, his last name Anaya. And uh, I was like, okay, Danny, where are you? <laughs> and just about that time, here comes Danny. And I said, okay, so go up there and just kind of chat those guys up. Don't let them come up with a plan. Just keep talking to them. I'm going to call homicide. Tell them what I've got, who I've got. So I call the sergeant. He says, yeah, that guy just recently is, or is suspected of shooting two people, one of which died. The other was just seriously injured. And, uh, we think he's our suspect. So we need to talk to that guy. Okay, cool. So I'm still coordinating, you know, trying to get them to let them know where I'm at, waiting for the detectives to come. And I'm sitting there in my car and I think I actually took the driver now and I put him over in Danny's car so that I, we, he's, he has uh, a cage. He's a non, yeah. Cause he's just, he's a <laughs> patrol cop, you know, so he's got a cage and that way he's, that guy's a non-issue. We don't really have to worry about him. He's, he's in a car. Well, suddenly I see Danny's on the passenger side of this pickup truck and I can see the backseat passenger is moving over towards the driver's side, climbs over the seat, lets himself out the driver's door and starts running. And Danny is in hot pursuit, you know? Yeah, beat beat. And he ends up catching this gentleman, grabs him, throws him on the ground. I jump out of the car. I'm like, we got one running. You know, it's like you see on cops and everything else. And uh, I get over there and we get the guy in handcuffs and um, get the other passenger out now, put him in handcuffs, sit him over in the shade, you know. And, and, the, and you know, what's crazy is right as we got this guy handcuffed, I look over and I see a detective car coming. It's only been five, ten minutes tops. And I'm like, that's impressive. You know, like, holy crap, that's impressive. How did they get here so fast? Well, this guy, Lupe, jumps out of the car, and he's a guy I know from the sheriff's department. He's not even a Tucson police detective, but I recognize him because he came on the sheriff's department about the time I was getting ready to leave. And he's like, what do you need me to do? I said, get that dude, take him into custody, the other passenger, and let's, you know, slow this down. Our detectives are on the way. So once we get everything calmed back down, I'm like, what are you doing here? Why are you even here? And he says, I work in burglary at the sheriff's department and we've had a rash of washer and dryer thefts from carports. <laughs> so I just figured I'd come over here and drive around and see if I see anything suspicious. And here I have this truck with, washer with a dryer. washer or dryer, whatever it was in the bed of the truck. And I'm thinking, man, this might be a twofer, you know? <laughs> So Lupe says, hey, man, can I start interviewing these guys while you're waiting for your detectives? I'm like, not this guy. These two, sure. I'm fine with that, but not this one. I don't want him to lawyer up yeah. and, and shut up and not talk until our detectives have a chance to chat with him. So the detectives arrive. They start interviewing the other two guys first before they start talking to Anaya. And, but, but right about the time they were arriving, I went back up to the front seat passenger. I'm like, hey, man. When I got behind you and I turned on my lights, did that guy say anything? Cause he's, you know, he's like, I don't even know that guy. He's just out there with us at the camp. You know, we're all getting high together, but you know, whatever he was saying. And, um, I said, did he say anything? And I don't know if you use profanity or not on, on the show, but he said, Oh, you don't want Yeah. You he, don't says, want he says, Oh crap. I have a gun is what he said. I was like, okay, thank you. That's what I wanted to know. If there's anything in there that's going to be potentially harmful to me or any of my partners that are out here. So when the detective showed up, I told them about that statement. They went over and re-interviewed that guy. He gave them the same information. They got a search warrant on the truck. There's a semi-automatic pistol behind the seat, which I believe, and I don't know because I don't, I don't follow up with the forensics and all that crap, but I believe it's the weapon that was used to shoot these other two victims. And I'm still getting subpoenas. I've been retired for three and a half years. And, you know, the guy fires his attorney, represents himself, hires a new attorney, and is just dragging it on as and on. As much as he on. can. Yeah. They but need just, to create a lot of stop that. <laughs> but just dumb luck. Just dumb luck. I was just right place, right time. 
that's awesome. caught this guy, you know. So that was probably, that's definitely a highlight uh, in my career. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in a few. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today, Brian Parker, he used to be on uh, TPD and now is the host of the choir practice. I want to know, why did you start choir practice? What's, what's the history here? Okay. So when I was on the police department, I started a journal for my children and that's all it was supposed to be was at some point because they were babies when I first started, you know, I said, they're going to want to know why I'm the dad that, that they grew up with. So I started this journal fast forward a couple of years eight years, I decided to publish it through Amazon. So the book published in 2010, it's called My Rookie Memoir, A Father's Legacy. And it's been on Amazon, like I said, for 12 years now. So then when I retired, my best friend, who's not a cop, he says, hey, dude, you should write another book, but start having your friends come over and have them tell their craziest, saddest, funnest stories. And I was like, bro, that took me eight years. I can't, that's too much work. Well, then the idea came to me to do a podcast. And so it serves several purposes. One is I, the camaraderie that you have with a police as police, there's, I haven't found anything like it since. So it's selfishly, it allows me to hang out with my buddies still after retirement. The other thing is, is it humanizes the badge. It lets people that might listen know that Cops are just people, man. They just decided on this profession, which I consider to be a very noble one, you know, and uh, otherwise they're just folks with wives and children's and husbands and just like you. Yeah. You know, they just, they do this job. But then another part of it was, you know, that book will live on beyond me and it'll go to my kids, my grandkids, so on and so forth. And so I thought, you know, this is perfect. This is a great way for these men and women who served, uh, you know, and to, to create something that's going to live beyond them that their family can listen to and get some insight into their career and kind of what shaped them and what they experienced, you know, and now I don't even have to try and make it compelling in a book because they're saying it with their own voice, right? their own inflection. And it also has taken on other kind of sub themes where a lot of my guests now who are retired, some of them are dealing with some pretty significant cases of what's now been categorized as PTSD or PTSI, post-traumatic stress injury. And they're involved in a lot of great organizations who are helping both first responders and military with, with those types of injuries. Yeah, and it, it makes sense that you would want to create a legacy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, and even even with my own child, you know, no, you can't do that. No, I don't want you to do this. Stay away from Why? Well, I can tell you now, this is why. Mm-hmm. At the time, maybe you didn't understand it, but right. I was looking out for your safety right. and your future. Right. And, you know, there were so many things that went on that, ooh. Tell us about your saddest call. So the saddest call, I would say probably there was a murder and it was during that time period when I was a sheriff. So probably 98, 99, 2000, there was a girl, 16 year old girl by the last name of Gaxiola. And essentially me and my buddies got a call at three in the morning and or early, early morning. It's really dark. out. I don't even think the moon's out, you know, and, and this guy shows up on the front porch of these people's home and he's been shot in the back like on the back of his rib cage. So we show up and he's crying like a baby and he looks like he's probably 19 ish, you know? And we're like, what's going on, bro? I got shot. I got shot. I need help. I need to go to the hospital. We're like, okay, who shot you? Well, me and my girlfriend came out here with a couple of guys that I'm just acquaintances with. And (laughs) yeah. And, um, they shot me. I need help. Hold on a second, bro. Where's your girlfriend at? I don't know, but I need help okay, little punk, you know, like I'm thinking he's dressed down in the latest gangster wear and here's his girlfriend's out in the desert somewhere. And he just is only thinking about himself. So paramedics come and cart him off. And we see he was wearing Converse, you know, this little basketball shoes. And there's a group of probably about five or six of us. And we just start tracking his footprints. What other option do we have? You know, and we're tracking his footprints into the desert and we must've walked at least maybe a mile. I mean, it, that would, it seemed like forever, you know? Yeah. And, the dark. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we get to a point where we can't see his footprints anymore. So 
at the time, the sheriff's department didn't have their airplane. They didn't have helicopter. DPS did. So we called them, hey, are they up? No, they're down. <sighs> okay. Tucson Police Department, is their helicopter up? No, they're down. What are we going to do? We're stuck. We got to this rocky area where we just couldn't see his footprints anymore. And we kind of had fanned out and circulated, didn't see anything. And somebody came up with the idea, let's call customs. See if they'll sure, come up with the Blackhawk. So we call customs and they're like, we'll be right there. So they came Aren't over. Aren't they awesome? <laughs> they were. They were. And they were almost too helpful because when they got overhead, we started flashing our flashlights. Like, here we are. Because we're out like Valencia Mark. I mean, we're way out past the casinos. And um, they come around and maybe 60 yards from us, they see her. She's laying there. And um, they're like, do you want us to land? Like, you know, you're disturbing the evidence. <laughs> yeah, don't land. If there's any tire prints or footprints or anything else, that's going to go away if you land. Yeah. Please don't land. So we go over there, and sure enough, what it appears to be is that they shot her first because she had two two gunshot wounds, and then I think Numnut took off running, and they shot at him as he ran off into the darkness. And so was she alive? No, 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 no. She got shot in the neck and the face. So this kind of started the beginning of the end, I guess, of uh, me and my appreciation of the media because the, you know, you're trying to rope off a huge desert area and I'm sitting there and I've got tape up and it's now seven o'clock in the morning. We're waiting for homicide to come out. And, um, here comes this news van. And the guy jumps out with a three foot lens and he yeah. starts hitting me with a bunch of pointed questions. What do you got? You know, and we had taken one of those cheesy little yellow blankets that cops all have and just kind of put it over her to protect the crime scene, but also to protect her, protect her and keep her out of the direct line of sight of anybody that might want to look. And I remember going home later that day, go to bed, wake up the next day. I see the news and they're pretty well zoomed in. It's a little blurry, but they've zoomed in pretty good from from where I was, which is probably a good quarter mile back. I mean, it was a long way back. And I think they finished the story with, uh, oh yeah, and by the way, next to Ken hasn't been notified yet. And I'm like, bro, I can make out what she's wearing. I guarantee you if my 16-year-old daughter didn't come home last night, you just told me where she's at, you know? And so in 2012, a bunch of years later, I just stopped, I had to stop, I don't the news, I mean, all of those things, I just, I don't need it. I already got enough stress. <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, I appreciate that. I found out about my brother being killed on the news. So it was just like, you know, you don't think it's important to let the family know first. Right. You just broadcast it. Right. So that was probably one of the saddest, I would say. That's yeah. That's not cool. No, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And that's just, you know, those, those types of incidents happen every single every day. day. They still happen. Still. And yeah. so, um, you know, for any of my friends or any listeners that aren't in law enforcement, I always encourage them, you know, if you don't want to just take the TV's word for it, any of the major networks, three letter, four letter networks, go to your local police station, ask them if you can do a civilian ride along. And as long as you're not a convicted felon or have any outstanding warrants for your arrest, Typically, they'll work with you and they'll put you in the car with a police officer. And I always say this, you get to see how the cops talk to the public. You mm -hmm. get to see how the public talks, talks to, to their that. public servants. Yes. And you also get to see the wide range of all the things that we do. get to deal with. I want to yeah. do the helicopter. Yeah, I've been in a car. <laughs> I've got a car. I don't yeah. need to do that. I like my feet on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so how can people actually support law enforcement sure um first and foremost the best way i believe that the public can support law enforcement on a long-term basis is to really do their research and vote for candidates for local offices who support law enforcement yeah. that truly is the best way because as much as cops say they don't like to be a part of politics they really are the executive arm of politics legislators it's unfortunate. legislators make a rule we enforce it. it. Yeah. We enforce it. Um, second, I would say, is getting involved with nonprofits here in town. Like Law Matters. Like Law Matters, Salif, the 100 Club, Hearts of Gold. I mean, there's several organizations who their sole purpose in life is to support law enforcement, even down to and including giving 
bullet resistant because they're not bulletproof, but bullet resistant vests to the dogs. Yes. I mean, all the way down to bringing canines. cookies and Gatorade to the station. I mean, it's it, it can be significant all the way down to something that's just a beautiful gesture, you know, and a thanks. So um, we tell people all the time, thank them. Thank them for what they do. Yes. Which is, I will tell you, is awkward when someone comes up to me and would thank me for my service. You feel weird about it. But it's just sometimes people don't know any other way to express their thanks other than just to come and approach you in public and say it. And it's always appreciated, um, you know. Uh, and that was that was my last point. I forgot it was on the back of the papers. Finally, when you see a cop, tell them. Say, hey, thank you. Appreciate it. You know, and it, it like I said, we always feel kind of weird, but um, but it is appreciated because, it, yeah, because so many times know, people will tell you how much they don't appreciate you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. That's, that's what you so. hear the most. But, um, yeah, other than that, I guess, you know, the choir practice podcast, how can people turn on to the choir practice podcast? Yeah. So this is a long name and I apologize, but it is what it is, is choir practice podcast, all one word dot buzzsprout. That's B U Z Z S P R O U T dot com. And that's the, that's the, um, the carrier, the person who hosts my my podcast but can then, you send that to me and we'll mm-hmm. put it on our website yeah and then it's on apple podcast spotify google podcast amazon music stitcher overcast castro Castbox, Podfriend. like some of these i've never even heard of until i decided to run my own podcast and then i've never heard of these right and yeah and so <laughs> because i went on i think it was apple then they automatically will send it to some of these other lesser known or smaller you know so podcast yeah can you can you track your listeners on there not the listeners but buzzsprout is pretty generous you know like i can tell how many uh desktop computers are they're downloading it or you know what percentage um if they're on an apple device or an android device where that's pretty where people are listening and then the total number of downloads which i'm proud to say as of today i'm almost at five thousand downloads after 23 episodes which is phenomenal because many times i feel like i'm just sitting in my closet in a vacuum and the only people that are listening is like me and my immediate family you know yeah so when i see the numbers roll in sometimes I mean, sometimes I'll get some really great feedback from friends or previous guests who listen to a new episode, but sometimes the only thing that, the only feedback I get is just to see that people are listening, you know? And so, um, it's cool. I, at some point I want to sit down and figure out how many hours of content I've created because the deal is, is I can't have you on, um, you know, and tell me about your career, but let's, let's, we're going to you know, speed it up, you know what I mean? And yeah, so exactly. I just let them talk. And when the, when the conversation kind of comes to a natural end, we're done. So I've got them from two hours to sometimes almost four hours because the men and women that I talk to have done some pretty cool stuff. And, uh, I mean, you just got to listen into it to believe it because some of the stuff you can't even make it up. It's almost unbelievable. But again, it's the stuff happens every day to every men day. and women in law enforcement it's, and firefighters and paramedics. And I mean, you name it, you know, and, and it's not just uh, TPD and t- Arizona law enforcement. You've reached out to other agencies. Yeah, I had the I was introduced to a lady who was a police officer in New York during 9-11. I introduced a, or I was uh, interviewed a gentleman from from Virginia, uh, a firefighter from Chicago. I just recently interviewed a guy who just retired from Border Patrol, so I'm really looking forward to that one. That one won't come out until June because I'm ahead on on interviews. Um, So really it is any public servant who put others above self. So how frequently do you put out a podcast? Thank you for asking. (laughs) I didn't put that in my notes. So I'm a one-man show, and it's uh, pretty stressful to, to do all the producing and stuff, but... I decided I was going to put out a new episode every Wednesday. Every Once Wednesday. a week. And so the pressure's on. And that's why before I even went to Spotify and those places, I already had like seven to 10 shows done. And now I just keep that's interviews. Like well, yeah. and that was some of the <laughs> suggestion I had gotten. And so I, I've done that and I've been able to keep four to six weeks of a buffer and I just kind of, you know, keep trying to bring people in and that way I always have that buffer. And my goal right now is just to prove to myself that I can do it is I want to make it through this first year from October of, of 2021 to October of 2022 and then see, see where you go from, from there. there. But yeah, but I think what you're doing is really remarkable because Thank you. this 
is a legacy. This is. is, you know, and to hear it in your own voice. Yes. Um, you know, it's one thing to, to like you did, you wrote a book and mm-hmm. give them the name of the book again. It's uh, <laughs> My Rookie Memoir, A Father's Legacy. And it's one thing to do that, but it's a whole nother thing to be able to hear the voice. Yes. And I just think that's remarkable. And I thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you. And I take a picture of all of my guests. It looks like a mugshot, but sometimes it helps because people want to see. I saw that. They're holding up the. Yeah. And people want to see a face (laughs) with the voice. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, yeah, it's great. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. Like today, this morning's been great. So thank you so much. Yeah, we've we've had a good time and I enjoyed listening to you. You've got a great voice, by the way. You have a very hypnotic voice. We could just like go to sleep. Uh, Well, I'm not trying to put people to sleep. That's for sure. I'm just kidding. So thank you for your service. Thank you. And you're going to send me your contact information so I can get that out there. Yeah, okay. Today is um, Kentucky Derby Day. Uh, 88 Crimes Dinners today. If you haven't bought your ticket yet, I think it's too late, but it's not too late to donate. Mm-hmm. It's if a good you wanna, organization. It is. It's, it's, they do a lot of work behind the scenes. People have no idea. Just like law enforcement, you yeah. have no idea how much it goes into what they do. Right. You're just seeing them on the road. Maybe. Well, and if you've ever watched any of these, you know, first 48 type shows, nobody wants to talk to the cops at the scene, but they'll certainly call in and give an anonymous tip to help solve some of these more serious crimes against the community. And so organizations like 88 Crime absolutely has a purpose, a a good purpose in the community for sure. Yeah, we we are big supporters of 88 Crime and, and actually getting a true voice out there because we've had situations where the media said something or there's been TV shows about different agencies and it's always slanted. Mm-hmm. And we want these people to come on and tell us what really happened. You know, let's not believe what you hear in the news. Right. The sound bites. Correct. If it's so. not sensational, they're not going to play it. But so many good things happen every day in the community by the men and women who and sometimes they make it unnecessarily sensational mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they're looking to clickbait <laughs> yes exactly uh-huh. so thank you for being here thank you for i having want everybody me. shop local stay safe and we'll see you next week with hal kemper